0: I'll proudly support the legislation, provided nothing more than technical changes are made to its current form.
1: Oh, Mitch McConnell supports some legislation, so we get to have it. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Too cynical? I got the feeling that something right. Maybe. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs clowns to the left of me jokers to the right here i am stuck in the middle with you i am from pacifica radio in los angeles this is the bradcast as heard on kpfk 90.7 fm in la also in california all in red bluff and redding on kfoi round mountains kkrn and eureka's kgoe Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour, talk, and all your favorite podcast sites, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. I want to hit a a few quick listener emails to kick things off today, Desi Doyon.
2: Oh, good. Those are always fun.
1: This is in response to our lively uh, caller segment on yesterday's <laughs> broadcast. Why are you laughing?
2: It what? was lively as a it word was for lively. it. It was very yes,
1: lively. Yes, it was lively. Yes. Anyway, uh, that call-in segment was was focused largely on the upcoming critical midterm elections. My belief that Americans need to vote for Democrats, whether they like them or not, at a time when democracy itself is very much at stake Against the terrifying rise of authoritarianism in the Republican Party and at the stolen, packed, and wholly corrupted U.S. Supreme Court, which, as I detailed yesterday, according to Marquette University Law School's new poll, considered to be the gold standard for Supreme Court polling, found that for the first time, a majority of Americans across virtually every demographic sector now support the expansion of the number of seats on the high court in order to rebalance what the GOP and Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump basically stole from the nation during Trump's term in office. So a few related-ish notes, uh, first from Deepak to Bradcast at Bradblog.com. Brother B and sister D, that that would be you, Des, (laughs) Uh uh, reiterate that for a fairer and fresher court, 18-year term limits, a real crowd pleaser, packing the court, as he calls it, could possibly lead to, that would be the expansion of the court, packing the court, could possibly lead to over 100 justices. Would anything ever be decided? Thank you both for your show and for your goodness. Bless you both. Well, uh, what Deepak seems to be saying here is that uh, term limits would be better than adding uh, justices uh, to the. And well, I can't say that I, I, I disagree. Actually, I'm. Uh, Term limits are fine 18 year term limits All in favor of it Good idea Let's talk about it But I think we also need To add justices And the fact that It could possibly lead To over 100 justices Would anything ever get done? Well yeah It would get done It might get done a lot faster Because there would be A lot more people doing the work Now I don't suspect We're going to get to 100 justices But if we did Laws would still be accepted or denied based on a majority vote. So even having 100, there's still going to be a majority vote. So, uh, of course, 100 is an even number. If it was a 50-50 vote, then we'd have problems. But let's say 99 justices. (laughs) then I believe we would be fine.
2: Yeah, and the point of expanding the court is to rebalance it after the Republicans stole it. So just installing term limits now will not redress the wrong and the treachery of Republicans in packing the court with three justices that you detailed quite well yesterday.
1: Uh, In any event, thank you, Deepak, for that note. Uh, From Tim to Bradcast at Bradblog.com, subject constructive criticism. As a fan of yours and longtime supporter of KPFK, that's our flagship station here in L.A., I think you deserve constructive criticism. And then he goes on to list a number of things, but most germane for this segment, he writes, Stop giving priority to callers who disagree with you and wasting your and my time debating them. Awaiting your reply, Tim. And while I offered a more complete reply to Tim via email, I'll just touch base on this one point here as I told him, A, we don't necessarily give priority, per se, to folks who disagree with me, though I do invite them uh, to call in and I do try to respond to their critiques, just like responding to Tim's note here, for that matter. In truth, when I do bring a caller on air, I actually often have no idea if they agree with me or not. Either because Desi has not had time to fully detail all of the incoming calls that seem to come in all all (laughs) All at at once. once, Or, in fact, callers, some of them actually lie about what they want to say when they get screened and then they say something completely different on air. Now, I would still have them on as I try to get as many folks as I can on air, whether they agree with me or not. But. You know, some of these folks think they need to say one thing to the call screener and then say something completely different on air. Not cool, by the way, but that's what some of those uh, some of those folks do. Either way, I believe that if one listener has a certain opinion that I may disagree with uh, or believe to be totally wrong or more often is something that is totally misinformed, a listener who is disinformed by so much of our crappy media outlets out there. Well, if that's the case, if there is one, then there are hundreds more who are listening with a similarly disinformed position. And frankly, speaking to one of those people hopefully helps to inform all of the others. At least that's my hope. Uh, but I hear you, Tim, and I appreciate uh, the uh, constructive criticism. Keep it coming. Uh, that's the hope, anyway. Whether we're successful at that, I can't tell you, but we do our best. Finally, today from Pam to Bradcast at Bradblog.com, subject line, and the award goes to Brad Friedman. <laughs> Dear Brad, congratulations on your new job, stomping for the Democrats. This is uh, likely in response to the caller who apparently uh, knows me and the show uh, very well. Well enough, in fact, to call me a, quote, professional managerial class gatekeeper for the Democrats. (laughs) And while I'm always happy to hear that I'm a professional at anything (laughs) that I do, I'm, I'm still wondering when I get that managerial class paycheck that I should be due by now from the Democrats by now for all of this gatekeeping. In any event, apparently, Pam writes, that individual who stated that Joe Biden has not kept any of his promises does not live in this land. I had cited a list in response to this caller of promises that Biden has, in fact, kept when the caller claimed that there was not a single one. So, yeah, whatever land he is living in is one in which he is not getting very good information. Pam adds one more uh, item to the list that I didn't mention. She says the first black woman on the stolen Supreme Court to name just one. Oh, yeah. She also that would
2: have been a good one to remember. She,
1: you know, there is a list. I, I have a, a list somewhere here that somebody had made <laughs> of literally dozens, hundreds of them things that uh, Joe Biden has done since taking office. Anyway, uh, Pam adds also, thanks for educating the woman who stated that Democrats are against abortions and a woman's right to make her own health decisions. That caller had said she, if you didn't hear the show, she had recently heard that there were 141 Democrats in Congress who are against reproductive rights. Which did not sound right to me. Desi looked it up quickly and found that it referred to some Democratic state legislators around the country, a tiny majority of the thousands of state legislatures currently serving, a tiny majority of the minority. Democratic, uh, what did I say? Tiny majority. A tiny majority, <laughs> A tiny minority of the uh, Democratic state legislators around the country, while meantime virtually Every Republican at both the state and congressional level is currently fighting against the freedoms that were previously conferred to all in all 50 states by Roe v. Wade. To the best of my knowledge, writes Pam, there is just one in Texas, one member of Congress who is solidly in the American Taliban slash GOP pocket. She's likely referring to right wing Democratic Congressman Henry Cuellar of uh, Texas, their 28th district, who is, I believe, the only such Democrat in the entire U.S. House to be actively anti-choice. That out of some 223 Democratic members currently serving. Just one. And he recently defeated Democratic uh, progressive challenger Jessica Cisneros in a runoff primary election back in May. Pam adds one should be careful where one gets their information from, since, in my humble opinion, CNN has no credibility. And actually, I believe the story about 141 Democrats who oppose abortion rights with a sort of misleading headline uh, because they oppose it at the state level. That was actually from CNBC, if I recall. In any event, one should always be careful about where one gets their information, including from me. Yes, there was once or twice in recorded history when we got something wrong. (laughs) Usually Desi in Stringly her Green Rare, News report. Yes. But other I'm than sure that, it's always my fault. When it <laughs> happens, uh, we do try to correct it as quickly and as prominently as possible. Pam uh, concludes You are to be admired for your ongoing efforts in educating those who seem to be devoid of the ability to make informed decisions. My respect for the Supreme Court ended when they gave the presidency to Bush back in 2000. Sadly, if we do not support Democrats, she says, it is game over. For all of us, I agree. As such, she says, even though I am angry over the Palestinian issue, Democrats will be getting my vote. I could not vote for the American Taliban slash GOP, even if someone was holding a gun to my head. My family would have me committed, she writes. Thanks to you both for the wonderful job you're doing to educate those of us who are in need. Yours sincerely, Pam, who says parenthetically, she is a Bernie Progressive. Thank you very much, Pam, for that note.
2: Yes, thanks all.
1: So, uh, and uh, you can also drop me notes. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. As I said, always good to hear from you. And I always uh, try to reply when possible via email and sometimes on air as time allows. So, in the meantime, you have likely heard by now about the wildly successful NASA experiment that played out just after we got off air from yesterday's show. A NASA spacecraft rammed an asteroid some 6.8 million miles away from Earth at blistering speed in an unprecedented dress rehearsal for the day a killer rock menaces planet Earth. The galactic slam worked perfectly. It occurred at a harmless asteroid nearly 7 million miles away with the spacecraft named D.A.R.T., plowing into the space rock at 14,000 miles per hour. Scientists expected the impact to carve out a crater, hurl streams of rocks and dirt into space, and most importantly, alter the asteroid's orbit, largely to see if we could, in fact, do it. And if that crash might slightly change the asteroid's orbit enough that uh, had it, in fact, been an asteroid heading on a collision course with Earth, we could actually change the orbit of that asteroid enough to prevent life on Earth itself from being wiped out.
2: Yeah, like uh, like uh, balls on, the, on a pool table where you hit one on the side and it changes its trajectory.
1: It would be nice to know if we could do that. And it was all pretty cool, including some amazingly... Uh, I guess near-real-time, high-resolution graphics uh, showing the space rock coming into focus and, and shorting out at the moment of impact when DART hit it. Yeah, the resolution cool. on those
2: images was crazy.
1: Telescopes around the world and in space aimed at the same point in the sky to capture the spectacle saw it, and uh, though it will take as long as a couple of months to determine how much the asteroid's path was changed, That's what everyone was looking for as they saw this show and this big bright light actually uh, reflecting in the sky at the moment of impact. But here is what struck me and Desi as we were talking about it. The target here was not actually the asteroid named Didymos, which uh, some had referred to as the target. Didymos is actually a 2,500 foot wide object that is hurling through space which would have been difficult enough to hit from nearly 7 million miles away
2: at 15, 14,000 miles per hour. But
1: just to make things harder, I guess, uh, the target was a moonlet named Dimorphos If I'm pronouncing that correctly, it's a moonlet that orbits around Didymos, the asteroid, about once every 12 hours. Dimorphos is actually just about 560 feet wide. It's tiny. Now, today, scientists, of course, were besides themselves because they were able to see the larger asteroid Dimorphos, I'm sorry, Didymos actually light up tens of times brighter than normal after the impact with its moonlet, which is very exciting. But our NASA engineers were able to fire a vending machine sized projectile from Earth, (laughs) which is itself, by the way, both spinning and orbiting They did this last November, almost a year ago, and they were able to make a direct hit on another moving object the width of about 10 school buses. And that itself is also orbiting another moving object that is speeding through the sky at thousands of miles per hour, nearly 7 million miles away, and we nailed it on the first perfect shot. That is is some fancy science and engineering there. And yet, as Des, you pointed out, <laughs> we can do that, but there's just no way, as far as deniers
2: are concerned. There's
1: just no way that scientists on Earth have any idea what they're talking about when it comes to the Earth warming <laughs> due to greenhouse gases released into our atmosphere. On that, they're totally clueless. They don't know a thing... They don't know nearly as much as the, you know, some people on 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 Twitters who just happen to be funded by the fossil fuel industry, which stands to lose as the science of our climate crisis becomes clearer and clearer every day. A five hundred something foot space rock orbiting around an asteroid and hit by a projectile that we fired from Earth 10 months ago. Well, for that, we have the very best scientists in the world. But tens of thousands of studies by scientists over the past, I don't know, five decades or so, they know nothing. They ignore them. It's all a hoax. They
2: can't do any math. They can't
1: even predict what's going to if it's going to rain tomorrow or something. Also, by the way, you should ignore all of those scientists when it comes to things like viruses and vaccines. Who do those people think they are? Podcasters like Joe Rogan. They know the way. And, and they know much more about epidemiology and virology than the actual epidemiologists and <laughs> virologists do, I guess. That is all by way of saying that, hey, we've got a Green News report coming up a bit later.
2: <laughs> Quite the segue there, but yes, we do.
1: Uh, as the uh, climate crisis uh, that is unfortunately all too real, yes, according to scientists, uh, is now coming home to roost again today, unfortunately, with major Record climate change juiced storms slamming Canada and the Philippines. And as we are very concerned at this hour, the great state of Florida, specifically Tampa Bay. If the current uh, predictions for Hurricane Ian, uh, I think it's category three as we go to air, if those uh, current models come to pass, this could be very, very bad. But apparently... You know, it's easier to catch an orbiting space rock seven million miles away than it is for a a man in Texas to catch a man in Texas fleeing from a process server, trying to hand him a subpoena.
2: Another fancy segue.
1: Did you see that? I saw that. <laughs> to that end, a Texas man made a uh, a mad dash to his truck on Monday with his wife at the wheel to help in his getaway after a process server attempted to hand him two subpoenas, according to the Texas Tribune, which describes an O.J. Simpson-style flee away from the scene for this uh, pair of miscreants. According to court records, the process server was forced to leave the documents on the ground at the man's house after the man ran away. From inside his garage, making a quick escape, making a mad dash to the waiting truck with his wife waiting in the driver's seat for the pair's getaway. The uh, two subpoenas, quote, uh, to appear and testify at a hearing or trial, unquote, in court on Tuesday were both addressed to the state's top law enforcement official. That would be Republican attorney general and longtime scofflaw, now subpoena runner ken paxton the lone star state's top cop who ran from these subpoenas with the help of his wife in the getaway paxton has already been indicted for seven years now on state securities fraud felony violations and has somehow also managed to run from a trial In those indictments so far for all of those years. Also, he faces a whistleblower lawsuit and an FBI investigation after a bunch of his top now former deputies in the very, very right wing Paxton office, uh, Paxton's office, alleged abuse of office in his role as attorney general in Texas. Paxton, of course, has maintained his innocence in all of these criminal charges and probes, even as he is now running for another term this November to be Texas's attorney general again. And apparently, because they don't give a damn about the rule of law in the Lone Star State, he is said to be leading in his race against Democrat Rochelle Garza for attorney general, amazingly enough. Ernesto Martin Herrera, a process server, was attempting to serve the state's top attorney with a subpoena on Monday for a federal court hearing on Tuesday in a lawsuit from nonprofits that want to help Texans pay for abortions out of state since Ken Paxton has uh, helped to make them all but entirely illegal across the state of Texas. Now, later on Monday, after Paxton had fled the scene, he then filed uh, two requests in court, a motion to quash the subpoena and another to seal the certificates of service, which included the affidavit from the process server about how Paxton ran from the service. Paxton's lawyers argued that the server, uh, the server, quote, loitered at the attorney general's home for over an hour, repeatedly shouted at him and accosted Paxton and his wife color me dubious in any event when Herrera arrived at Paxton's home in McKinney Texas on Monday morning according to the affidavit he told a woman who identified herself as Angela Angela Paxton uh, that he was trying to deliver legal documents to the AG she told him that Paxton was on the phone unable to come to the door Herrera said he would wait well nearly an hour later A black Chevy Tahoe pulled into the driveway and 20 minutes after that, Ken Paxton exited the house. Herrera wrote in the sworn affidavit, quote, I walked up the driveway approaching Mr. Paxton, called him by his name. As soon as he saw me and heard me call his name out, he turned around, ran back inside the house, through the same uh, door in the garage. Angela Paxton, who, by the way, is a Texas state senator... She then exited the house, got inside a Chevy truck in the driveway, started it, and then opened the doors. Herrera wrote, a few minutes later, I saw Mr. Paxton run from the door inside the garage towards the rear door behind the driver's side. I approached the truck, loudly called him by his name, and stated that I had court documents for him. Mr. Paxton ignored me and kept heading for the truck. Herrera eventually placed the subpoena on the ground near the truck and told him he was serving him with a subpoena. Both cars then drove away, leaving the documents on the ground. This is the top uh, uh, law enforcement official in Texas. Now, on Twitter, Paxton said that his sudden departure was motivated by concerns for his family's safety. Quote, It's clear that the media wants to drum up another controversy involving my work as attorney general. Well, it's hard not to, Ken. Ken. In any event, uh, so they're attacking me, he says, for having the audacity to avoid a stranger lingering outside my home and showing concern about the safety and well-being of my family, he wrote in the tweet. Yeah, that's it, Ken. Sure, it, it was, it was. It was just you showing concerns about the safety and well-being of your family when your wife ran into a truck, you ran out of the house, avoided...
2: A process server who announced himself and explained what he was there for, and then he ran away again.
1: Also, by the way, setting a great example as the state's chief law enforcement official, you know, as always, I guess the example here is if you can run from a subpoena, you should do it for the safety of your family. Paxton then doubled down on Tuesday morning in a statement distributed by his campaign saying, quote, light of the constant threats against me for which dangerous individuals are currently incarcerated, I take a number of common sense precautions for me and my family's safety when I am at home. Paxton said Texans do the same to protect themselves from threats and many also exercise their Second Amendment rights to protect themselves and their families. Is that a threat to process servers in the future that uh, Ken Paxton might use his Second Amendment rights to protect themselves against being served? Is that a message that he's sending to people in Texas if you're served by a subpoena? Well, don't forget, you got your Second Amendment rights. Hell of a guy. Our best wishes to Paxton's Democratic opponent, Rochelle Garza, this November. In Texas, she is going to uh, need everyone's best wishes and good luck, though it sure would be nice to see Paxton retire, you know, so he had more time to spend with his indictments. The uh, managerial class gatekeeping continues here on the broadcast after a quick break. And as we begin to close in on that election day, a really, really, really important one now just six weeks away. And by the way, what you can do to help above and beyond just voting and some, I think, good news about some electoral reform finally in Congress that may actually be happening this year. All of that and Desi Doyne's Green News Report as Hurricane Ian closes in on Florida and uh, we hope not, but possibly Tampa. All of that straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. You know who aren't backing down? Poll workers aren't backing down. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. I'll get to that in a moment because it looks like Wednesday's public hearing in the bipartisan U.S. House Select Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol and Donald Trump's multiple failed attempts to steal the 2020 election. It looks like that hearing is now going to be postponed due to Hurricane Ian. Barreling toward Florida for potential landfall on Wednesday, Wednesday night, as it looks
2: so far it looks like Wednesday night.
1: Now we had of course planned special coverage for you here on the Bradcast, but we will be obviously postponing that as well. No word yet on when that hearing will be Rescheduled. I think it could be the final hearing. Uh, no word yet on when the committee is going to reschedule it, but of course we will cover it here on the broadcast whenever it is that they do. In the meantime, uh, speaking of those public hearings, outraged by false allegations of fraud against the Georgia election employee in 2020, Amanda Rouser made a vow as she listened to the woman testify before Congress in June about the racist threats and harassment that she faced. I said that day to myself, I'm going to go work in the polls and I'm going to see what they're going to do to me. Rouser, who, like the targeted employee, is black She recalled after uh, stopping by a recruiting station for poll workers at at an Atlanta City Hall on a recent afternoon. She said, quote, try me because I'm not scared of people. Well, you go, Amanda. I love it. About 40 miles north a day later, according to AP, claims about fraud, false claims, though they may be, also brought Caroline Barnes to a recruiting event for prospective poll workers, but with a different motivation. The 52-year-old Barnes said, I believe that we had a fraudulent election in 2020 because of the mail-in ballots, the advanced voting, she said, after applying to work the polls for the first time in Forsyth County. I truly believe that the more we flood the system with honest people who are trying to help out, it will straighten it out, she said. Okay, Cool. I agree. Thank you in advance for your service, Caroline. Uh, Barnes, who declined to give her party uh, affiliation, I can't imagine what party she may be, (laughs) uh, said she wants to use her position as a poll worker to share her observations about, quote, the gaps, unquote, in election security and, quote, where stuff could happen afterwards. Also good. Please do, Caroline. I'm fine with that. Nearly two years after the last presidential election, AP notes, there has been no evidence of widespread fraud or manipulation of voting machines. Numerous reviews in the battleground states where former President Trump disputed his loss to President Biden have repeatedly affirmed the results. Courts have rejected dozens of lawsuits filed by Trump and his allies, and even Trump's own Department of Justice concluded that, yes, the results were accurate. Nevertheless, the false claims about the 2020 presidential contest by the former president and his supporters are spurring new interest in working the polls in Georgia and elsewhere for the upcoming midterm elections, according to interviews with election officials and experts and prospective poll workers. And as far as I see it, that is great news especially after stories uh, from some months ago that poll workers were being scared off after threats that were made against them by right-wingers and, you know, Donald Trump's dupes, threats to election officials following the 2020 elections. So this is good news. Like Rouser in Atlanta, AP reports, some aim to shore up a critical part of their state's election system amid the lies and misinformation about ballot and about voting and ballot counting. But the false claims and conspiracy theories also have taken hold among a wide swath of right wing voters, propelling some of them to sign up to help administer elections for the first time. And I say in both cases, that's great. Great news. We need people to serve at the polls, bigly. And I suspect that those who actually do it will find, uh, A, it's an incredibly long and difficult day, and B, it is all much more benign than they have been misled to believe by a bunch of folks playing them to make them believe that poll workers are somehow massively committing some sort of fraud. Now, not everyone may agree with me, of course. Uh, Sean Morales Doyle, an election security expert at the Brennan Center for Justice, said, I think it's a problem that there may be people who are running our elections that buy into those conspiracy theories and so are approaching their role as fighting back against rampant fraud. But he also cautioned that there are numerous safeguards to prevent a single poll worker from being able to disrupt voting or try to manipulate the results. Correct. The Associated Press talked to roughly two dozen prospective poll workers in September during three recruiting events in two Georgia counties in Fulton County, which includes most of Atlanta, and where more than 70% of the voters cast a ballot for Biden in 2020, and Forsyth County, north of Atlanta, where support for Trump uh, topped 65%. About half of the people that AP spoke to said the 2020 elections were a factor in their decision to try to become a poll worker. uh, Priscilla Ficklin, a Democrat, uh, said, we don't want Donald Trump bullying people. She said while taking an application at Atlanta City Hall to be a Fulton County poll worker, I'm going to stand up for the people who are afraid. Thank you, Priscilla. Seriously. Thank you. At a uh, farmer's market in the politically mixed suburb of Alpharetta, north, north of Atlanta, Deborah Eve said she was concerned about being harassed for working at a voting site, but still felt compelled to sign up. She said, I feel like our government is we the people and we the people need to step up and do things like poll working so that we can show that nobody's cheating. Nobody's trying to do the wrong thing here, she said. Allison Saunders, who worked at a voting site for the first time during the state's May primary, said that she believes Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman, the Atlanta poll workers who testified before the January 6th committee after being just unmercifully targeted by Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani and all of their flying MAGA monkeys. They were targeted because they are black, uh, said Saunders. Saunders, a Democrat who is white, said, More people that look like me need to step up and do our part. I think it's more important to do your civic duty than to be afraid. Thank you, Allison. Threats after the 2020 election contributed to an exodus of full-time election officials around the country, but recruiters say they have not seen a similar drop in people who have previously done poll work. So that opposed to the full-time elections job, poll working is generally temporary jobs that are open to local residents during the election season. But some larger counties around the country have reported that they are struggling to fill those positions, which is one of the reasons I wanted to share this story with you. Working the polls has long been viewed as an apolitical civic duty. For first-time workers, it generally involves setting up voting machines, greeting voters, checking that they are registered, answering questions about the voting process, Election staff in the U.S. generally do not vet the political views of prospective poll workers, although many states have requirements that seek to have a mix of Democrats and Republicans working at each polling, uh, at each voting location. So frankly, I am not worried at all about right-wingers signing up to be poll workers. In fact, I thank them for doing so. I thank you for doing so, if you might consider doing so. Serving as an observer at uh, the polling place, that's a separate matter. It's a little bit different. And yes, we do need observers as well from all parties, from all parties and from no parties, independents and everything else. And I'm, I'm not as worried uh, as I know some people are about observers either. But intimidation that observers can bring to all of this is certainly a, a concern. It's a separate matter from poll working, I'd like to believe. But I'm hoping people will just not be intimidated this year, even if someone tries to intimidate them. And if MAGA folks... Frankly, want to camp out and, you know, watch absentee ballot drop boxes around the country. Whatever. Feel free, I guess. Uh, You know, you're also going to have to camp out around every mailbox in the nation as well. But if that dumb 2000 Mules movie, which didn't show any fraud at all, actually has you concerned about fraud at drop boxes, well, knock yourself out. Bring a comfortable chair and a book.
2: But don't interfere with anybody because that would you. be illegal.
1: Thank you. And if you do try to interfere, if you do try to intimidate, well, hopefully you will be held accountable for for that, and voters will stand up to that attempted intimidation. I actually have confidence that they will, and that such tactics ultimately will backfire on those intimidators. AP notes Forsyth County's elections director Mandy Smith said she was not worried about having people who believe the last presidential election was fraudulent serving as poll workers. The county provides training that emphasizes the positions are nonpartisan and that workers must follow certain rules. Ginger Aldrich, who attended the county's recruiting event, said she knows people who believe the last election was stolen from Trump. Their views made her curious about what she described as the, quote, mysterious aspects of the voting process, such as where ballots go after they leave the voting site. There's going to be some people that are unscrupulous, uh, said Aldrich, and they are going to spend all this time figuring out how to beat the system. While she believes there is fraud in elections, she said she was willing to use her experience as a poll worker to try to convince people that there were no problems, at least in her county, with the midterm elections. And thank you, Ginger, as well. And hey, if you want to help out where you live, please do. Please contact your local town or county elections uh, office. My guess is they could really use folks this year. It's a way to... Help keep the bad guys at bay, whoever you may believe to be the bad guys, and to make sure that democracy still works in this country, which, as you may have noticed, as you may have heard, is still very much open for debate this year. But you can absolutely make a difference working as a poll worker. And for those who do, by the way, please stay in touch with how it goes. I'm at bradcast at bradblog.com, and on Twitter, I am TheBradBlog. Uh, Thank you in advance for... Uh, volunteering and for keeping us up to date.
2: Yes, please. I mean, whatever their motivation, it is It is always a truism, I think, that when the good people show up, then it makes it much harder for the bad people to do what they're trying to do.
1: In related-ish news here, before we get to a break, related to the never-ending mop-up of the damage caused to this nation by Donald Trump in 2020. Well, last week, the House passed a set of electoral reforms aimed at shoring up ambiguities in archaic language in the presidential certification process, some of which former President Trump and his allies tried but happily failed to exploit in their efforts to steal the 2020 election. The Presidential Election Reform Act was introduced in the House by bipartisan January 6th committee members, Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren, Democrat of California, and Liz Cheney, Republican of Wyoming. Their legislation passed in the House 229 to 203, with just nine Republicans voting with all of the Democrats in favor. Most of those nine had also voted for Trump's impeachment in the wake of the Capitol attack. The 38-page bill would make a number of changes to the law that governs how electoral college votes are submitted by states and then counted by Congress. On January 6th, that uh, current law is known as the Electoral Count Act. Notably, the legislation would make it more difficult, though still not impossible, for members of Congress to muck up the certification process with objections that are not based on legit concerns. It would clarify that the vice president's role in counting electoral votes is a strictly ministerial one. It would increase the number of representatives and senators required to challenge any state's electoral college votes. Currently, just one member is needed from each chamber to uh, challenge those electoral college votes from any one state. It offers legal options to presidential candidates in the event that a state fails to certify its electoral votes. As a number of GOP candidates for governor and secretary of state have have threatened and have said that you know they would have done if they had been in office in 2020, and it prevents state legislatures from changing the rules for determining election results after the election has already begun. Legal experts have been clamoring for years for updates to the Electoral Count Act. It was uh, written in confusing and archaic language in 1887. So uh, the bill was passed by the House last week. That one is similar but not identical to one that a bipartisan group led by Senators Susan Collins, Republican of Maine, and Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat of West Virginia, have been also working on uh, this year in the upper chamber. Collins told Washington Post she prefers the Senate legislation as it already has the approval of enough Republicans in that chamber to pass the filibuster threshold. Which made me wonder when I saw this article a few days ago, are you sure, Susan, because 203 Republicans over in the House voted against a very similar bill? Well, based on news breaking this afternoon uh, in the U.S. Senate, where the Senate version of the bill was going through committee markup, well, Collins may be right, Senator, uh, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. Republican from Kentucky has, in fact, endorsed the bipartisan electoral count reform bill in the Senate, giving that legislation a key boost over similar uh, the similar bill passed in the House last week. Speaking on the Senate floor Tuesday afternoon, McConnell said he would, quote, strongly support the legislation, saying it did not, quote, rashly replace current law with something untested, whatever that means. He said Congress's process for counting their presidential electors' votes was written 135 years ago. The chaos that came to a head on January 6th of last year certainly underscored the need for an update. He said the Electoral Count Act ultimately produced the right conclusion, but it's clear the country needs a more predictable path and said... Strongly
0: support the the modest changes that our colleagues in the working group have fleshed out after literally months of detailed discussions. I'll proudly support the legislation, provided that nothing more than technical changes are made to its current form.
1: Which means if a Republican minority leader supports it, then it's likely to get passed. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is also likely to back the bill. Both Schumer and McConnell sit on the Senate Rules Committee, which is meeting even as we speak uh, to vote on the legislation in committee. Their support would likely cement the bill's likelihood of passing the Senate. It may not come up for a vote on the floor until after the November election during mm-hmm. the lame duck, uh, so-called lame duck period. The biggest difference is uh, apparently in the House and Senate bill is the number of how of, uh, members who would be needed to object. Yes. I think it's one-third of the members in the House, one-fifth of the members in the Senate in or this, something yeah, like that. Yeah, the Senate yeah. bill
2: requires one-fifth of the members. The House bill requires one-third of the members, so the House bill has a much higher threshold. Right. So, curious about why McConnell would support the lower threshold, but okay.
1: Well, in any event, as Angus King, independent from Maine, pointed out, this is not comprehensive voting rights reform, but it is critical and it is important that this get done prior to not just the presidential election in 2024, but prior to everyone jumping in and starting with their uh, campaigning pretty much the night of the 2022 midterms, I suspect. So hopefully this moves forward and gets done before the end of the year if we can't get voting rights protections from Republicans who have scuttled every attempt by Democrats for that since Joe Biden took office, maybe we can at least get a little protection for how electoral votes are tabulated on January 6, 2025. We will take what we can get these days, and uh, maybe we just might get it in the days ahead. One more quick break here. When we're back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report as Hurricane Ian bears down on Florida. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the broadcast Bradcast. <laughs> Okay, I know Desi Doyen is anxiously uh, (laughs) digging around for the latest news here on Hurricane Ian. So we will get you an update on that after our latest Green News report.
0: Our adage is always hide from the wind and
2: run from the water. Hurricane Ian takes dead aim at Florida.
1: This
0: is a historic storm um, for this province. There's no question about that. Hurricane
2: Fiona was
0: the strongest
2: storm on record to hit Canada. Plus,
0: fundamental human rights are being
2: violated as we begin uh, measuring climate change, not in degrees of Celsius or tons of carbon, in
1: human lives.
2: Pacific Island nations call for a fossil fuel non-proliferation
1: treaty. All of those hard luck stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. New York City has announced that students will no longer get snow days. Luckily, this isn't too big of a deal. I know it's sad. But you realize, thanks to climate change, New York's getting snow for, what, two years max now? (laughs) Sad but true. This is your Green News Report. By 2026, this is basically going to be Florida with better bagels. That's all it's going to be. Okay, Desi Doyen, I am really, really worried about the state of Florida today.
2: And for good reason. We'll get to Florida in a moment. But first, Hurricane Fiona slammed into Puerto Rico last week and then near-record warm ocean waters gave it the juice it needed to spin all the way up to Canada, pummeling Nova Scotia and setting a new record as the strongest storm to make landfall in Canadian history. Fiona's storm surge washed entire buildings out to sea. Simultaneously, in the Philippines, super typhoon Noru shocked forecasters by spinning up from a tropical storm into a dangerous category. Category 5 cyclone in less than 24 hours, one of the fastest rapid intensification cycles ever recorded on the planet.
1: And that is saying something because we've seen a lot of these storms in recent years, Starting from nothing and spinning up to fives in in a matter of a day or two.
2: Yes, and they give very little time for residents to prepare before the storms strike. Typhoon Noru caused widespread damage and floods, knocking out power for millions in the Philippines and killing at least five first responders. And scientists do link the observed increase in rapid intensification to record warm ocean waters caused by man-made global warming. Here in the U.S., as we go to air... Florida residents are racing to prepare for Hurricane Ian, rapidly intensifying in the Caribbean Sea. The National Hurricane Center forecasts Ian will make landfall somewhere on Florida's west coast midweek. Evacuations are underway in some areas. Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis has declared a state of emergency statewide. The exact location of Ian's landfall and storm surge will be key. Tampa Bay is particularly vulnerable to storm surge. Its shallow bay gives all that water nowhere to go and the city hasn't seen a hurricane landfall in at least 100 years mm. today it is now heavily developed with many more people in harm's way tampa bay mayor jane castor on cnn warned well you certainly can replace personal possessions uh, you can't bring anyone back to life mother nature always
1: wins yeah she does Let's hope she takes a pass on Florida this time, but it is not looking good.
2: In other news, some great news for the fossil fuel industry and utilities, ratepayers are set to pay much more for fossil energy this winter. Mm -hmm. Natural gas prices alone have more than doubled this year due to Russia's brutal ongoing invasion of Ukraine, which is causing a global supply crunch. But also it's thanks to the fossil fuel industry's lobbying over many years to vastly increase exports of U.S. produced natural gas, which means Americans are now forced to compete with the rest of the world for U.S. produced supply.
1: Never mind Mother Nature, fossil fuel industry always wins.
2: U.S. fossil gas prices are now at the highest levels in well over a decade and are expected to remain high into 2023. Finally, at the annual United Nations General Assembly meeting still underway this week in New York City, world leader after world leader has used their time at the podium to sound the alarm about the climate crisis. But the president of the South Pacific Island nation of Vanuatu went even further, calling for a fossil fuel non-proliferation treaty to end production and use of fossil fuels, the first time any country has done so. The agreement would phase out the use of fossil fuels accelerate safer and cheaper renewable energy and make ecocide a crime punishable by the International Criminal Court. The president of Vanuatu noted that his country and other developing nations are least responsible for causing man-made climate change, but are getting hit first and worst by rising seas and extreme disasters. We call for the um, development of a fossil fuel uh, non-proliferation treaty to face down coal Oil and gas production, and enable
1: a global just transition for every worker, community, and nation. Good luck with that. I mean it. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman, and
2: I'm Desi Doyan.
1: and this has been your Green News Report.
2: Venuatu,
1: <laughs> Venuatu.
2: The land
1: where we belong. We belong. We to Thank you very much, Desi Joyan. Um As we get out today, any further word at this hour where the storm is and where it is, I guess, where it is expected to make landfall at this point and. At what time on Wednesday?
2: Hurricane Ian is uh, still set to target Florida's west coast. It looks increasingly like it's going to be some kind of direct hit on the Tampa Bay area. And Mm. um, as we've mentioned, you know, there's a a huge differential in the impacts depending upon where it actually lands. 10 to 30 miles one way, north or south, can make a lot of difference. And
1: Tampa is really the worst case scenario.
2: Yes. And the stronger the storm is, the worse the impacts will be, especially the storm surge. So Mm. if the storm storm hangs offshore. Or comes onshore north of Tampa That will be the worst case scenario Because it will drive the winds And the storm surge Right into the mouth of the bay Where it won't be able to escape Um, And so again The National Hurricane Center says Now is the time to prepare And I will just add Now is the time No matter where you are To make sure that All your preparations For extreme weather events um, Are ready Because it doesn't give you Much time to prepare Also President Joe Biden Was in the White House Rose Garden today And he said he has already approved an emergency declaration at the request of Republican Governor Ron DeSantis.
0: Florida is now preparing for the the hurricane to make landfall. Forecasts can change, but for now the experts say this could be a very severe hurricane, life-threatening and devastating in its impact. So I want to be clear about two main messages. First, My administration is on alert and in action to help the people of Florida. I've approved Florida's request for emergency assistance immediately upon receiving it from the governor when they received it. And I directed my team to surge federal assistance there before the storm hit. FEMA has already deployed 700 personnel to Florida, and the governor has activated 5,000 state national guard with another 2,000 guards coming from other states. FEMA is also proposing and pre-positioning 3.5 million liters of water, 3.7 million meals, and hundreds of generators. I just spoke this morning with the areas that are likely to be hit: the mayors of Tampa, St. Pete, and Clearwater. All of them, all of them, are in the storm's path, and they're focused on the safety of their communities, and they're doing everything they can to get people out of harm's way. I told each one of them my conversation separately. Whatever they need, I mean this sincerely, whatever they need, contact me directly. And I've, they know how to do that. I have a lot of personnel down there already. We're here to support them in every way we can.
1: That was President Joe Biden at the White House on Tuesday. Good luck, Florida. And we mean that. Yes. Got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyne, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. We uh, hope we made it worth your while. You, if you missed any portion of today's show or any other and want to hear it again or share it with friends and family, you can stop by bradblog.com and download it for free. There is no paywall. That is thanks to listeners like you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help support our work here. Thank you for that. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. I will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.